0: You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shake their communities with the love of Jesus. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good All right. That was actually really good. I was about to give it another go. And then I was like, "Ah, oh, that's a pretty good response, if I'm being honest. Uh, so, hey, I pray you're well today. I want to say... Uh, again, happy Mother's Day, and also want to express gratitude. Thank you for joining us this morning, right? You could have been anywhere in the world, maybe not the world, maybe your pocketbook says you could be anywhere in South Austin, uh, and you, you chose to be hanging out with us this morning. I appreciate that deeply. And so as Missy alluded to, we're going to go ahead and head into uh, our time in worship uh, through the Bible and through Scripture. And so uh, we've said this uh, many times, and we'll continue to say it many times, We believe this is a time of worship uh, because we believe God isn't just going to teach us something, right? We believe that God desires in this time where we're opening the Bible and looking at these words to meet us in a special way. Where through these words, he connects with us and we connect with him and an actual transformation happens. Like we become encouraged where we were discouraged. We receive hope where we... Lacked hope, right? We received boldness where we lacked boldness, courage where we were maybe weak or scared. And so all of a sudden we believe this moment we connect with God that He desires connect with us here likewise. And and all of a sudden He works in us during this time. And so I I, I say that every week. And I know y'all are probably like, yeah, you say this every week, but that's crazy. I want you to know that's a crazy thing. That's not like a that's a pretty wild thing that in a group of you know 30, 40 adults in this room, right? could get together, open up a book, and we serve a God big enough that through looking at those words, he would look at those 40 people and say, I'm going to meet you there, and, and I'm going to work in your life. That's a wild thing. And so I say that not to just, not to just set tone, but to, to set expectation. I want you to expect something while we work through these words. Not just learning something. I want you to expect something more than learning something, right? But to, to say, God, connect with me here. Touch me here. Meet me where I'm at in this, in this school. And and work in my life. I'm already off my notes, and, and I'm supposed to keep it short today, so I got to move. But uh, yeah, like, let, let's set that type of expectation. Uh, even asking God today, like, how do you want to shape me? How do you want to transform me during this time? And so we're going to jump into our time uh, in Psalm 23. We're in a sermon series called The Good Shepherd, right? And so we're walking through Psalm 23, a verse at a time, slowly but surely. Uh, and so this week, we're on verse 3. And today. Uh, we're going to think about what it looks like to follow the good shepherd in the midst of failure, right? If you're in here and you've made that commitment, I want to follow God. Uh, he is my good shepherd. I want to follow him. I want to give my life to him. The reality is in the midst of that journey, not only are you going to encounter bits of, of weakness like we talked about in week one, in verse one, but you're going to encounter moments of sheer failure where you completely miss the mark right, where all of a sudden what you thought you were becoming seems to be very diminished in your mind. And who you thought you were turns out you're not that person whatsoever. And all of a sudden discouragement starts to set in and failure starts to look at us in the face and we start to think like, man, what am I doing here? And and the beautiful thing is that a text like Psalm 23, specifically verse 3, speaks to that in a beautiful way. And that's what we want to look at, right? How do we follow the good shepherd in the midst of failure? What does it look like to follow in the midst of of failure, And if, if you're going to take home, we do this every week, right, just one idea today, this is what I want it to be, that God's provision can never be stopped, not even by my failure, right? That God's provision, I'm going to say for his children, right, can never be stopped, not even by my failure. And, and to kind of like address that idea, what we're going to do is we're going to take two uh, ideas regarding God's provision and we're going to work through them. The first one is that God provides restoration, And they're really just the ideas of what God provides in in verse 3 today, right? God provides restoration, and God provides righteousness. He provides restoration. He provides righteousness. That may seem obvious from the text today, but as we work through it, I think it's going to— I'm hoping I'm praying it'll hit home in a little bit different way than just what's perceivable uh, as words on a page this morning. So let's go ahead and get started. We're gonna read the the we're gonna read verse three together and get started with our first thought, which is God provides restoration. If you would read it with me, uh, I'm gonna to count to three, and then let's all read verse three together on the board. Okay, one, two, three. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for His name's sake. Very nice. Very well done. Very in unison. Okay, my counting is to thank for that, but. Uh, From the beginning of this verse, okay, check it out. We understand what David wants to see. I just said a second ago, it's not really hard. He wants to see that God renews our life, right? That he provides life to our soul when it feels like we're discouraged. And the thing is, this would have been a pretty easy connection for David to make in shepherding terms. Because in the life of a shepherd, this was a pretty common occurrence. It was an analogy he used because it was Pretty common. A shepherd regularly had to uh, seek out sheep that were what was called back in the day cast down. Everybody say cast down. All right. We're we're tapering off as we go here. The next one, I'm expecting you to raise it back up. All right. Uh, Cast down, meaning they had possibly become lost. Maybe they had just kind of gotten off the path. Maybe they were stuck somewhere. Uh, in a small group the other day, someone was like, have you seen that video where the, the sheep is like stuck in the fence? And, and somebody was like, I've gotten a sheep stuck out of a fence before. And, it was, it was, and then if you've ever seen that one video, right, where someone, that sheep is stuck in a crack in, a, in cement and they pull it out. And then he hops and he takes two hops and jumps right back into the hole, right? So, so this type of situation for a sheep is what we would look at and say that sheep is cast down. Uh, the shepherd needs to come and rescue that sheep. But uh, to get a bit of the flavor of what's happening here, you, you, we first have to understand the nature and the character that this language takes on when it starts to be applied to humans instead of just sheep. Because you've got to remember here, we're using a shepherd analogy, but the shepherd analogy is meant to point us toward us and God. So we're not talking about sheep. We're talking about us and our good shepherd, God. And so what is it? What do you mean, right? Let's let's go this way. How do you mean the character of the language here? Well, we first have to understand uh, this word renew. This word renew in other translations, it's probably, uh, it's translated restoration or uses the word restore. Uh, And and here's the thing, in this culture, in our culture, it doesn't feel this way, but in, in this culture, it was a word that often brought as much shame as it did hope. I want you to get that. It often brought as much shame as it did hope, primarily because it was a word that revealed a type of moral failure. It was a word that revealed uh, the heart in the worst possible way, uh, a word that really started to describe, despite how good God has been to you, you have consistently and continuously decided to turn the other way. And Joe Beakey, let's, let's borrow some language here. Joe Beakey is a professor and pastor, Ah, in the Midwest somewhere, because that whole area, unfortunately for me, looks all the same. But in the Midwest, uh, he says it like this, and he puts it great. He says, restoration is a post-paradise, that's like post-Garden of Eden, a word that shames you because it reveals your innate principle of sinful departure from a condition of spiritual health. Right? You see, the need for restoration speaks to our habits of leaving God's good ways, of seeing how good he's been, of seeing his kindness, of seeing his compassion, of seeing his grace, and saying, no, I don't want that. That's not worth it. Something else is better. It's an idea that often puts first, uh, front and center, ideas like pride, ideas like ingratitude, uh, ideas like idolatry—it puts those ideas front and center and confronts the idea of of God's goodness with our lack of response, lack of gratitude. It's a word, when understood correctly and applied to our own lives as people, it should bring like a little bit of a sting with it. It should create like a tension. Does that make sense? Am I making sense so far? Uh, But but here's the thing, in contrast to this, this text also speaks about how we're to rejoice at the fact that God pursues us in love, even when we've left. And so even when we've we've made the poor choices and turned away from him, he pursues us in love, he pursues us to bring us back to himself, he pursues us to bring us back to life-giving ways, to bring us back to spiritual health, to bring us back to healing, even healing wounds that we've self-inflicted on ourselves, still to look at us and say, I'll still take care of that. I'll still care for you. He, despite us, seeks to renew us and to restore us in love, in patience, and kindness, in the good character that we can expect from the good shepherd. And there's a tension that I hope you feel here. Okay, there's a tension I hope you feel. Maybe some of you are feeling it, maybe some of you aren't, but but I want to bring it up because it's a tension that may be hard for some of us to swallow because it can easily, in a situation like this, start to feel like we're making ourselves look small so that we can make God look big. And then the feeling becomes like, why do I need to make myself smaller in order to make God look bigger? Why does the Bible need to to contrast my failures to God's success, right? Like, don't I make good decisions? And I don't think the Bible, David, the Holy Spirit is trying to rob you of the fact that you do some good things. But rather the feeling to say, uh, I'm good enough leads often to a self-dependence that inevitably leads to being cast down. In fact, rather... I encourage you uh, to consider the fact that it's precisely in exalting the goodness of God. It's precisely in exalting and making a big deal about the beauty, the love, the grace, the kindness, the faithfulness of the good shepherd, where we begin to find the life that we actually desire. We begin to find the life that we actually want. Because hear me, it's precisely in seeing that when I fall and when I fail him, he comes through for me either way. Right? It's precisely in seeing that when I'm unfaithful, he remains faithful. It's precisely in seeing that when I'm proud toward him, he's humble toward me. It's precisely in seeing that when I'm greedy and when, when I'm a little hesitant to be generous, he's abundantly generous toward me. When I doubt him, he still greets me in kindness and in compassion and in love. Right, friend, it's precisely in looking at ourselves realistically and understanding, Lord, I've looked at you and I sing songs and I read scriptures. And when I view my own life in light of the fact that I perpetually and consistently look at you and say, man, I feel like something else is better than you right now. It's precisely in that moment when God's goodness is displayed in ways that we can't understand in almost any other context. Right? Precisely when I say, I'm good, I'm going to go the other way. And he says, well, I'm going to keep pursuing you. That all of a sudden we start to see God in a different light and seeing that beauty, seeing that, that goodness, right, is the thing that starts to draw us to him. It's, it's quite literally why First John 4.19 puts it like this, that we love because he what? It's an understanding that moment when my love has faltered and his love still rages and overwhelms like a, like a tsunami pressing against the beach that I can't escape. It's in those moments when I realize, man, your reckless love keeps pursuing me. I can do all this wild stuff, but there's no wall. You won't kick down. No, blah. I don't know the rest of the words. But, right, it's an, it's an understanding this context when you see I've kept running and you've kept running. But when I ran the opposite way, you kept pursuing me. That we start to go, what? Who is this shepherd? Who is this shepherd? Because I I thought I knew you. I assumed some things about you. But it feels like the more I get to know you, the more you surprise me with just exactly how good you actually are. And It's only in those moments when you start to feel that. God restores us in the midst of shame as we praise him for it. We love him for it right? That's when, when that life starts to catch us. But let me ask you a question. How, how do we get here in the first place? As I mentioned, a shepherd's restoration, right, occurs when sheep are cast down. How do we get cast down in the first place? Well, uh, a sheep was cast down uh, in, in, in old days, probably now too in some ways. I'm assuming the intellectual anatomy of a sheep ain't departed that much. Uh, but check it out. It happened in a a few different ways. Generally, it's when a sheep was separated from its flock, and often it was due to falling on its back and being unable to get up and uh, on its feet, and so it would start kicking frantically and would start bleeding loudly, and inevitably in that position, the sheep would either die or would be eaten by a predator. And this was usually the result of its own carelessness in some way, right? Perhaps the sheep had an improper diet, and so the sheep either ate too much and was overweight, didn't eat enough and was underweight, maybe just ate things that added to its mass too much, and it was just not nimble enough to work through the terrain that it was working through as the, as the shepherd led the sheep. Uh, maybe uh, it was tired, uh, and the sheep oftentimes would get cast down when it would lay down on a piece of ground that was uneven. And as it was laying down, unbeknownst to the sheep, it would try to get up. But because the ground would be uneven, the sheep would start to turn and then it would find itself on its back. And then it would start the kicking and bleeding process because it couldn't get back on its feet. And oftentimes when the the flock would just move on, maybe a mile or two or three or four down the way, the the shepherd would stop and start counting the sheep. And this is where Jesus starts to pull some of his analogies when he's like, I used to have a hundred, but now there's ninety-nine. And the reality is one of them is probably on its back, two miles back, bleeding and going crazy. And that's usually how it happened: Poor diet, fall on its back, can't get up. Maybe it just was resting weird, and it, it rolled over. And, and some of these things, you might hear them be like, bruh, this is weird, right? Or, or you might be looking at it and be like, this is a strange thing to talk about. Uh, or why are you taking me into the life of a sheep like this? Well, let me tell you, I, I think that this wasn't lost on David as he's looking at us and writing, you restore me right when I'm cast down. As God's people, right, we have to question ourselves, Lord, where is it that I get cast down? Where is it that I end up falling away from you? Where is it that the flock is proceeding and I end up departing? Where is it when I hear your voice and I choose to go the other way? What is it that like a sheep, I end up on my back bleeding and crying out, understanding, Lord, I'm lost, understanding I need help, understanding I feel vulnerable? What led me there in the first place? And I think we can learn something from the sheep, to be honest. Friend, what draws you away from the good shepherd? Let, let me ask you a question. Is it where you find rest? Rest is not a bad thing. Rest itself is actually a good thing. It's, it's, it's commended, obviously, by God himself in creation, on the seventh day, and, in Genesis. But, but where do you find rest? Right? Do you find rest in a movie or a show or a book that you know does little more to entertain you than really leading you into lust, than leading you into temptation and leading you in to greed then, then changing the way you see the world and starting to feel uh, like that, that that entertainment is starting to shape the way we see things? Is it, is it finding rest in things like excess, right? Excessive rest, maybe, that, that leans into laziness or excessive drinking or excessive anything else, right? Where do you find rest where all of a sudden we're leaning into it so much that we thought it was even ground, but really it's uneven ground and when we start to partake in it, thinking that it's going to give us rest, we end up on our back, crying out for the Lord to help us, falling behind and losing track of the good shepherd? Right? Is it, is it what you build your identity on? Right? Is, is it because what you build your identity on is really what you obey? Right? And so if, if your identity is being built on your success, the reality becomes that you'll sacrifice everything for the sake of success. Right? If your identity is being built on, on the fact that you're a great parent today, trying to pull in Mother's Day just a little bit more, and your view of parenthood is obedience, your view of good parenthood is obedience, you'll sacrifice all character in order to achieve obedience. Trust me, I know about that feeling. Where the desire for obedience starts to to overtake the desire to remain kind and compassionate and gentle toward my children because obedience becomes the highest thing. How I identify, but what I'm building my identity on, it will demand my obedience. It will demand my sacrifice. Friend, what draws you away from the Good Shepherd, right? What is it that actually draws you out to be cast down? And here's the thing. I I relate to this last one, the idea of identity specifically, uh, a lot, right? I, I, specifically as it pertains to this church, if I'm being honest, um, it is easy for pastors to place their identity in the way we serve God rather than the God we serve, right? I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I think most of you that have known a pastor in your day would we'll probably look at that and be like, "That's true." And if you did not know that about the guy that you uh, call pastor, either me or anyone in your past, and you just didn't know them well enough, <laughs> to be honest, like they weren't above that. Trust me, like none of us are. And so, I want our church plan to make an impact. I, I want our church plan to help our community and to see people come to faith. And when um, when those ebbs and flows come right? When it feels like we're doing that well, but then all of a sudden, a week later, it feels like we're not doing that well, and it feels like we have momentum to accomplish some of our mission, and then it ebbs back, and all of a sudden, it feels like we lost the momentum to accomplish our mission. I easily start to question God. I easily start to look at Him and go, man, why did we plant during a pandemic? Like, we could have so much momentum if we just planted when we weren't in a pandemic, and everybody was so riled up when we were coming out of the well like we're gonna take over the world and then all of a sudden it was like no nah, bro the world's gonna shut down for a while uh and you're gonna sit there and you're gonna hang out for about two and a half years right and then it was like and then we went outside and it was summer and it was hot and then we're using someone else's building and it was four o'clock and then we got a hotel and And yeah, and even now we're getting into the rhythm of things, but but we're still trying to build back to the place of like momentum that we had when we were coming out from the well, it feels like at times. So all of a sudden my mind goes through all these things, and I start looking at God and being, what is your plan? Why did you do this? I could have done something like this. We could have done something like this. And all of a sudden, in one moment, because I'm placing my identity in whether this thing is moving forward and moving back, but not even what this thing is supposed to be built on in the person and work of Jesus. And all of a sudden I look at God and go, are you the good shepherd or are you not? Because right now, because of my, the obedience that my identity and my idols are demanding of me, I'm, I question it right now. And all of a sudden, it's easy to see how that takes you and drifts you into that space where identity demands obedience and you're, you're doing things in order to make up for your feelings here and all of a sudden now you're cast down. And you're calling out and you're bleeding like the sheep on its back and crying out for help. And maybe you do that through excess. Maybe you do that through uh, over uh, rest with TV. Maybe you do that with trying to go out and do as many things as you can to fill your time. Because at the end of the day, if you look in the mirror and you evaluate the person that's there, you know, like, man, I'm cast down right now. I, I need renewal. I need restoration. Friend, what draws you away from the good shepherd? That's what I would love for you to consider about your life. That's a question I think this text asks us. And the more we think about things, the more we may find ourselves aware of the pitfalls that are in front of us right, the more we ask ourselves a question like that, the more we start, we may start to look and be like, man, in my life, I'm usually doing this, I'm, like, let me give my, let me go ahead and give y'all a very personal example while leaving out the specifics a little bit, um, right, in my own life, when I start to look at these in a more specific way, I'm like, yo, I just listen to one specific podcast, like, two times a week that don't do nothing helpful for me, besides make me laugh, but the, com- the comedy is, is not iffy, it's, it's debaucherous, right, so, I look at that, and I realize that once I listen to that podcast, usually from about 10 to about 1130, because the episode is about an hour and a half long, I come out of that day, and for some reason, I'm just not as devoted to God as I was when I woke up that morning. Every morning, I try and wake up. I, I try to sit at the edge of my bed. I put both feet on the ground. I open my hands, and I say a short prayer and ask God to guard my day. My prayer life is a struggle because God, I mean, I, I try, but like that prayer right there does me better than 30, 40 minutes of prayer can do for me for some reason. And I'll be coming out of that 45-minute that long interaction with God like, I'm never going to sin again in my life, right? And, and all of a sudden, I could listen to that podcast, and all of a sudden, my mind is running rampant. And so when you start to evaluate your life and think, God, what is it that draws me away from you? What is it that leads me to be cast down? You may start to look at things like that at a simple podcast, at an interaction at work, at all these different things and say, God, protect me from these. But I also need to evaluate, is this helping me? Is this causing me to be cast down? And, And you might start to look and start to notice there's a lot of these types of things. It feels like there's a lot of pitholes. There's a lot of inappropriate things to partake in. There's a lot of inappropriate places to find rest. There's a lot of uneven ground to lay down in. There's a lot of these things. You start to look and you start to say, my God, this is going to be harder than I thought it was. Honestly, When you start to challenge me like this, I came in here like, man, I'm not doing great today. I had a couple of slip-ups, but God's going to forgive me. And then all of a sudden, you're over here talking about how I'm a bleeding sheep on its back, crying and going to get eaten by a predator. And now I'm looking at you being like, man, this is kind of hard. I'm not going to lie. Following this God may be a little more difficult than I assumed it was going to be. And friend, hear me. That's actually exactly why uh, David adds on these next words into this text. And that's why they're so incredibly encouraging. Psalm 23.3, he renews my life, but then right after that, he leads me along the right path. For his name's sake, he leads me along the right path. In other words, God provides righteousness. In other words, God leads us back to the good way and says, this is what leads you to life. Like a shepherd leading to water that brings life, here's what the road that leads you back to life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to renew you. I'm going to turn you back up. I'm going to make sure you're okay. I'm going to bring healing to the things that hurt. And then like a good shepherd, I'm not going to be like, all right, man, I'll catch you later. But I'm going to take you and I'm going to gently lead you to streams of water that bring you life because of who I am. For his namesake, a lot of, there's several different interpretations. Is it up there? Yeah, it's up there. This for his namesake part right here. A lot of people look at that and and, and there's different interpretations. Some people say it's like to prove himself or to glorify himself. Another interpretation that I love is simply like saying, because of the nature of who I am, I will lead you. I will lead you to paths of righteousness because I'm the good shepherd. I think the image in David's head here was, was probably paths in the field that wagons had gone through. This is historically kind of what you could expect. And in fields, there would be paths, and those paths would be the trail marks from where wagons had gone through. And and those wagons were seeking to go from one field to another to another until they got to their final destination, a town, X, Y, and Z. And so bringing the sheep back to the path would inevitably bring them from one field to another, from next field to another, and inevitably back safely to their home. And David is saying, When you renew me, you bring me back to that path that takes me from one field to the next, and then from one green pasture to the next green pasture, pastor inevitably bringing me home. Right? This is how he sees God. He restores us, he meets us where we are, he greets us with kindness, he encourages our heart, he brings restoration and renewal, and then he leads us back to the path that leads to life. That's our God, that's his character. I, I want to say, this isn't in my notes, and so I need to, I need to be careful because I'm a little on time. But some, some of you in here, and I want you to look at me, please look at me. Some of you in here, fatally forget that. Let me take that back and reword that. Some of us in here fatally forget that when we fail. When we fail and we look at God, sometimes we can paint the picture of an angry vengeful, frustrated, disappointed judge, father, authority figure that looks and says, oh, my God, okay, we're going to try this again. Come on. And maybe we don't think he casts us out, but maybe we think he's impatient. Maybe we think he's annoyed. Maybe we think he looks at us, he's just a little disappointed. But I, I promise you, the character of this shepherd that David depicts is anything but that the sheep being cast down over and over is met by a compassionate, gracious, loving, caring shepherd who one day himself would say, I would leave 99 for one and I would celebrate. That's the character of your shepherd when you fail. And no matter what lie of the enemy from the pit of hell tries to get into your ear to tell you that he doesn't want that, that that there's not a place for you, the truth of who Jesus is is declared over all of us. Come and taste and see how good this shepherd is. Every time you fail, come back over and over again, and I will renew you, I will restore you, and I will lead you to paths of righteousness. I will take you to the right paths because that's who I am. What good news in the midst of our failure? And I believe he still does this. Right. He still does this. He, he does it through the scriptures where he points us to the right way. He does it through our church community where when we're cast down and discouraged or frustrated, or we mess up, we failed or whatever. All of a sudden, like the church community surrounds us and says, like, hey, man, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? Uh, right. Like like uh, how are you approaching? How are you doing connecting with God, man? Like, man, give that to Jesus. You're forgiven. Uh, uh, they start throwing a bunch of little gospel verses at you and you're like, "Oh, do what to do with this. Uh, and so so the, God still does that. But here's the thing. When David, the author of this psalm, wrote this, I I think that idea of leading sheep to the right path is all he could see. It's all he could imagine. And so that's how he depicts God. But I believe the Holy Spirit working through David, which we believe happened in all of Scripture, that every word we read was the Holy Spirit working through a human agent, that he wanted us to see more as we approach these words. Because I think God knew, here's the thing, I think the sheep will continue to to depart. I've, I've renewed enough sheep to know that I can lead them back to the right path, and somehow it seems like they're back on their back a little while later. And the thing is, my character will inevitably keep renewing them. My character will continue to restore them. I will never leave them. But instead of leading them to righteousness, our good shepherd decides, I don't want to lead you to righteousness. I want to make you righteous. I don't want to lead you to the place where you return to me. I want to adopt you into the place where you can never run from me. Where failure never leads you so far astray that you're separated because nothing can separate me from the love of God because of this righteousness. And if you don't know where I'm going with this um In that moment, I believe the good shepherd doesn't just say, call me, but he instead comes to us. He comes to us in the person of Jesus. And more than words that encourage, the word enters into the story. And more than finding a way that leads to righteousness, the way enters into the pasture. And Jesus enters into the world, and he lives a perfect and faithful life. He is the blameless and spotless lamb, and yet he takes the cross. He himself is cast down. He is the cast down sheep so that everyone who is cast down, everyone who's crying for help, everyone uh, who, who deeply needs restoration and renewal will be heard and will be saved and will be renewed, and they won't be just led back to righteousness, they will be made righteous. They will not just be led to paths that give life, life will make a dwelling place inside of them. They will not be led to quiet waters, but the river of life will be in them now, right? This is Good news of the gospel to be encouraged by today, friend, because now, no matter how far your failures take you, God is not a call away. In the midst of failures and struggles, God is now with you, in you, like, like encouraging you, building you up, and saying, I'm renewing you even as you run. You'll never escape me, but goodness and mercy will pursue you all the days of your life and you will dwell in my house in failures and in successes forever because the failures and successes that I see are the failures. Are, no, take that back. The successes of Jesus and Jesus alone. Right? What incredibly good news. He doesn't lead us back to paths of righteousness and say, here's the good way. Go ahead, take it. But he leads us to himself to say, here is the righteousness that I give to you so that you will never be in lack again. Truly, through this work, you will read the words, the Lord is my shepherd and I have what I need and it will be real. It will not be an echo. What incredibly good news, man. Amen, yeah. Friend, you will be led to green pastures. I say this with confidence to you today. You will be led to green pastures and quiet waters and restful restful places, not because of what you've done, but because the Lamb of God was slain for the sake of the world so that in his in his being a good shepherd, he would guarantee your destination in himself, right? I say it to you confidently today. If you follow this shepherd, your destination is green pastures. And now that same grace that forgives is at work in you, not just to forgive, but to help you keep pressing forward and to help you keep growing. I promise you, let me be, let me encourage you the The way your life has changed since you follow Jesus, whether it was eight or whether it was 80, it wasn't a work of your, your, it wasn't your work. Paul himself is like, man, I work harder than any other, but it's not me, but the grace of God at work in me. Right? Titus 2.12 says, grace has now appeared, bringing salvation for all men, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace that forgave you is also the grace that's going to sustain you is going to sanctify you, is going to build you up, is going to lead you forward. Friend, you have nothing to fear. It's why when we declare these these words about victory, we declare these words about courage, we declare these words about about nothing overcoming us, when we sing songs like this, it's not because our circumstances are saying, oh, this is 100% true. It's because we've received grace that will never stop, mercy that will never stop, God's goodness will never stop. And we cling to that and say, man, nothing will overcome me. I have nothing to fear. This good shepherd will perpetually and always pursue me. And he will lead me to green pasture. And so take heart today. Man, if, you, if you've if you been saved in here for years, right? You've been like, man, I've, I've known Jesus since the, the year of our Lord, 1905, right? Whatever your thing is. If that's you, my encouragement to you today is, is man, come to him. Come to him again anew. Come to him again afresh. Come to him again with, with the countenance of the word restoration where we're ready to lower ourselves just so we can see a bit more of his beauty as we approach him. To say I can't do this, I will wind up on my back without you. Show me your beauty and your goodness and your restorative ways. Show me. Come to him again today. I promise you, that well doesn't run dry. You will spend eternity learning the depths of that beauty. Why not start now? So come anew. And if you feel like you're far from him, come again. If you feel like you never met him, come meet him. Taste and see. Come and see. I'm going to see the depths of this renewal, this this life that that we receive, not just through paths of righteousness, but but through the way Himself. I'm I'm over on time. I'm going to stop and we're going to pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. As we read words like, You renew my life, you lead me on the right path. We read words that in any context would give hope. When we we read words that have now been been adopted and grafted into the correct story of you entering into the story, to not just lead us to righteousness, but to make us righteous. To not just lead us to hope, but to give us hope. To not just restore us back to God, but to place the living God in us. We receive the testimony of your goodness and eternal pursuit of us that never ends and never fails. So today, Father, let us, let us worship you like you are the God that we, we declare you are. If we don't believe words that we sing today, let the words that we talked about today start resting on our heart. and Let us start singing like crazy. Let people right, like, like come to you in this place right now, Father, with humble hearts, expecting you to meet us and to, to renew us today. We love you, we thank you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.